welcome to Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hua Chen Bui. I'm a writer and critic for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts today. I am Anya Crittenden, a writer and editor in Los Angeles. And I am Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So we're live from our homes. It's quarantine content. <laughs> we are going to focus on the content that is being produced in these quarantine times. Um, a lot of late night shows, including SNL and Jimmy Fallon and all those guys are doing their own versions of their shows at home. Um, there, there, there have been get-togethers and reunions and, and uh, fundraisers. We saw a Parks and Rec special. We saw a, the Bon Appetit variety show, Stephen Sondheim at 900. Like, it's all been, like, a great celebration. So what we're going to do is we're just going to basically talk about all that. We're, you know, it's been a couple weeks since pandemic has happened. And so, and, like, entertainment continues to go on even though Hollywood has been effectively shut down because people can't be in the same room together. Um, so a, a lot of Zoom content being uh, published online for us to consume, consume. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're just going to sort of have like a conversation about like what what, what, what do we think of this uh, Corin content? Um, so why don't we start off with probably the one thing that we're all very happy happened was a Parks and Rec reunion special. Um, NBC uh, live streamed it, or I guess they aired it on NBC. I don't know what what these what the, what these shows do nowadays. I guess they broadcast. They it. did air it on they... NBC because I watched it on TV. Yeah, and then they put it online for people to watch. Um, so it was basically a a series of Zoom calls between the the various casts of Parks and Recreation, a show that is near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, and it was great. It, it, all the cast members, yeah, all the cast members were back. Um, and it was set in our pandemic times. You know, the show famously skipped three years ahead at the end of its final season, which at that point was 2017, um, to show like a future. And now we are three years past that future. And the, the future is a lot different. Um, it's really bleaker. sort of weird. It's a lot bleaker. It's weirdly like a canonical with Parks and Rec, but still very canonical with Parks and Rec because like, it's weird to hear Tom Haverford talk about Timothy Chalamet because Timothy Chalamet as a as an entity didn't exist in Parks and, when Parks and Rec aired. Like, like he he was just in uh, Interstellar when Parks and Rec was airing its final season. So like he was not really Timothy Chalamet at that point. So it's really fun to see like the pop culture references that are that happened in 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 our times um, said by characters that haven't really spoken lines of dialogue in five five six years now so what did you guys think of the special um hc we'll go with you first oh i really loved it i thought that the writers um they came back and banded together and created just another parks and rec episode that felt like you know a warm hug back home it, it felt like they had recaptured what made the show so good and it wasn't like the best episode of parks and rec but it felt like they just so easily just settled back into the roles of the characters and the world that it was and the much more optimistic world that it was. And um, I, I just like I was just really amazed by how easily like the the actors got back into the rhythms of their characters and the writing just felt like felt so right for it, too. I was really just happy with it because it felt I was really I was a little nervous when they announced the Parks and Rec special because these kind of specials can seem like. I don't know, maybe a little fan servicey, maybe something that's limited, especially by the lockdown and how it's it's only can be done from people's houses. And I wondered if it was just be like a series of, you know, uh, little little uh, talking heads, and they're just kind of would just like say what they're up to. But I liked how interactive it was between the the um, the characters and how it just felt like they really were just checking in with each other and they it, it makes so much sense that Leslie for example would make a telephone like tree I love that so much so and um, I just I'd like I think the format like while it was limiting for the the show I don't think that it stumbled over it too much I think it really worked and that they were able to make it into a cohesive believable episode and while you could see some of the the wiring of it. Um, it didn't really take me out of the episode at all. And um, 
even allowed for like a really fun cameo like Tammy like Meg- Megan Mullally's Tammy too showing up in uh, Ron Swanson cabin I love the way so they wrote that in funny. it was great it was like I knew that they would somehow get her in because you know uh Megan Mullally and um uh Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman are married in real life and so I really enjoyed how they kind of had that and sometimes you could be like oh why are they in different rooms and they're and they're not like together even though they're in the same house I think that the way that they were worked around that was you know good enough and clever enough especially with the part with Andy being stuck in the shed I really enjoyed that part that was so like they they were so creative in their way of like writing or writing out writing around like the couples who can't be in the same room together like mm-hmm. we had Ben who's a congressman who was like in, in the DC home I think Leslie was in Pawnee or vice versa either way um they were not they were in separate rooms Andy was in a shed Anne's a nurse, so she was quarantining her, quarantining herself from Chris. Uh, yeah, Chris Traeger. Trying to remember all the names. Um, so like they were able to really interestingly work around like the fact that everyone like not these characters aren't really married in real life; they're actors. So it was really fun to see how they did that. Yeah, it reminded me. Have you guys? I think I feel like Anya might have seen some of these, but there is a bit of a trend a couple years ago of sort of web series adaptations of. Jane Austen novels and mm-hmm. it, the format of that of um, the Parks and Rec episode reminded me a bit of that of course those episodes those this web series um, was was it Lizzie Bennet Diaries mm-hmm. um, the, of the Emma one I forget what yeah, the Emma one was called Emma Woodhouse I think it was just like I am Emma Woodhouse or something I can't remember what it was called yeah um, they of course were filmed in on sets with cameras but the way that they formatted it was that it was just kind of like these vlogs that these characters would talk to the camera and people would eventually like come in and enter out through um doors and like would be in the same room but like the way that they that the Parks and Rec episode played was some somewhat similar to that and that like you know you can have you can structure a story around people just talking to a web camera and have it uh-huh. still be really believable and still be really compelling and they don't have to be in the same room but they can like still have like overarching plot arc despite you know not having a more conventional episode of Parks and Rec so I really enjoyed that and I felt like it was a fun little new media spin on Parks and Rec yeah I completely agree I love the episode so much and there's noise in the background because my dog has hopped up onto my bed so (laughs) yeah Ajax is a central character in the show now Ajax he I mean he's a lot like champion he's half mutt half terrific or half terrific half champion I know champion um yeah I love this episode I thought it was really clever how they separated the couples I especially liked the one with Anne just because it made so much sense like they didn't they didn't need to like contrive that one at all um my friends and I actually called how they were going to bring in Megan Mullally beforehand we were like we were talking about it and I was like I bet you she's gonna break into like Ron and Diane's house and then lo and behold I wish they had gotten Lucy Lawless and um uh oh my god I literally had her name just the other day uh Jerry's wife um oh uh uh, model Gail uh, Gail, um, yeah, Gail. Chrissy Brinkley. Chrissy Brinkley, that's it. Yeah. Chrissy Brinkley. I really, those were the two that I wanted to have like a little like brief cameo just because I love those characters. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really lovely and sweet. And um, I definitely cried like a little baby when they sang 5,000 Candles in the Wind. Uh, but not before laughing really hard. My actually, the funniest moment to me actually was Tom yelling at Ben to shut up about Lil Sebastian because one of my favorite running gags is Ben like not understanding the appeal of Lil Sebastian. I think it's hysterical. I love it. Um, and I love that they brought that back and that like even all the all these years later, like even during this tender moment, Ben is still like, what? He's like again with this song. He's like, it's a pony. Like what? And I'm like, <laughs> I I love that. And when Tom yelled at him to shut up. I thought it was like the funniest thing. So yeah, I really liked it. It was like, like H.E. said, it was like a warm hug. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine like Parks and Rec is my favorite show of all time. And for that one to be the one to come back during quarantine, I was, I felt very, very blessed that night. What did you, what did you think of the episode, Willoughby? Oh, I loved it. I I have to agree with both of you that it, it did totally felt like a warm hug. Like, and I respected the ways that they sort of worked around the fact that all these actors are in their own homes, like trying to deal with that. Like, uh, even though I could like, you could, you could see the writing of the episode, like obviously it probably didn't take 
super long to put this together because you know it's only been a couple been like a couple months now um for pandemic and stuff but it's so it was so funny and like so clever and like it didn't it didn't try to hide the fact that i mean it, it tried to hide but in a clever way of like the fact that these actors are you know in their own homes and like i respected like the writers for doing that and like making it like of course andy would get locked in the shed like it's just the funniest thing is of, of like no like they were all all the ways that they were in different rooms was in character um and, and i love the phone tree aspect of it like it, it the whole show like uh, it definitely felt like an in character thing it didn't it didn't feel like out of place it felt like something yeah like you were saying earlier ht like it felt like something that would actually happen in the in the universe of parks and recreation that leslie would set up this phone tree and of course ron who is always very stoic and doesn't show emotion would be the one who is also leslie's best friend to put together the five thousand candles in the wayne reunion uh and um, crying a lot over Lil Sebastian. I love how much like alternatively like, I love how much Ron loves Lil Sebastian. Ron loves Lil Sebastian and I bet it was not acting because probably Nick Offerman who's a big sap in real life probably missed the shit out of these guys. So like I was crying when that was singing. I think we all were like th like the the tears there are just are probably were real for the for just the reunion of it as well as like the in character like Ron loves Lil Sebastian if if anything, Nick Offerman's a, a great actor and he should be nominated for Emmys, um, especially on Devs, uh, side note. Um, but he, yeah, so like Parks and Rec, I loved it. It it felt like, you know, it was, you know, it was different. It was the different, it was what Parks and Rec would do in, a, in the pandemic. Um, and I loved the little like commercials that we got. We got Jeremy Jam, Orthodontia. We got Ben Schwartz doing John Raphael, like just putting up a phone number saying, call me because he's so lonely. And I'm like, <laughs> he's oh stuck God. in a house with no furniture. <laughs> yeah. Side so, note, we called that number after the show because I was like, oh, it's going to be like an automated message like from Ben Schwartz being like, donate to Feeding America. And then it was nothing. It was like a fake number. And I was like, what a missed opportunity. Like we dialed that number afterwards and I was like so annoyed because I was like, guys, they like, really, yeah. Could... Especially since they were trying to raise money, raise funds for Feeding America for it. And it was a, uh, they should have done that. Oh, well. Missed opportunity. But I mean, I'm sure they raised a ton of money because, you know, people watch Parks and Recreation. Um, and yeah, there's not much more I can say that already hasn't been said. I thought it was uh, funny and warm and, and uh, just the same Parks and Rec that we always known, just a little bit different because it's all, well, I guess it was grizzle calls, but Zoom calls, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, oh, also shout out to yeah. the prop um, set decorator who like sent all the props to all of the cast members because the set decoration behind everyone was pretty fantastic. Like I, they brought back all the old props. I love the little touch of the wedding photo behind um, Leslie and just, it was so much fun to see to see all those old props and like you know Ben's little uh, claymation claymation depression claymation. I love it. I love that they sent all that stuff and made sure to make sure all those like props were in character and they were like behind the characters. I just I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it all worked out really well. I think yeah they they did a, a stellar job doing a, a at home and rendition reunion special of Parks and Rec. It was also a fundraiser for Feeding America. I think it, it accomplished so many different things that I think, A, I think we never expected a Parks and Rec reunion. Like, I don't ever think, I ne you never, you always hear like, oh, like, you know, a, a, a 500 word uh, story of like, and of uh, Leslie Nope, uh, Amy Poehler, like saying like, oh, it'd be wonderful to have the, the gang back together at some point. Like those sort of articles always happen with cast members who are like, of course they're going to say like, yeah, it'd be great to have a reunion. And then like years go by and they never do it. So like it was an interesting way to sort of it was very much a surprise and I was not expecting it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it was so, so welcome to have. Um, I think in on you said it. I think it was the perfect it's the perfect show to come back in these in these times. Yeah. Um, for one night. Only. It really like, is. So, yeah, it really I, is. I loved it. I can't wait to I was going to say rewatch it, but like it's a very like on topic episode so mm -hmm. i think like post quarantine i probably won't go back to it um but yeah it was very much uh, a great a, a great little respite from these dark times mm -hmm. 
I do think of all the sort of quarantine content that's come out in the past two months almost now, (laughs) it's probably the best of the ones I've seen. Because, you know, as you mentioned, Willoughby, there's so many other little specials and TV and live streaming events that have happened. There's been the Sondheim birthday. There's been the Disney sing-along. There's been the variety shows that have... um, change their formats a little bit to deal with this quarantine and are still putting out content really regularly and of course there's SNL which is doing a really good job too and I think that they're all improving but it's it's really funny to see at the beginning how sort of threadbare it was and then slowly the um these actors and um celeb and Hollywood celebrities are kind of basically becoming YouTubers they're basically becoming YouTube vloggers as they're like getting used to like filming themselves and working with their family working in their own homes. And I'm like, wow, they're basically just like becoming vloggers at this point. And it's really funny to see that trans- transformation. Right. It's really interesting too, because like Patrick Willems, who we've referenced on the show before, he put out a video. He went up to his uh, his family who lives in upstate New York and he was supposed to be up there for for like a video shoot. And then the world ended and he was stuck up there in Westchester. I think he lives. or it's yeah, part of the Stephen um, King novel. Yeah, or like Saratoga Springs, somewhere up north. In so like it was still like he posted on Instagram. It was like still snowing like mid-April. So it's like, oh wow, he's far away from New York City. Um, so he's been he's been he he finished a video that he had to do up there, and then he his next video he had to like the I think the original format he had to scrap. So he did like this quarantine talk show. He basically he like the conceit of his video was like if all these talk show hosts are going to become video are going to become video essayists or vloggers, he's going to do a talk show. So he did, he created like a fake talk show to basically do like a follow-up video to a bunch of his own, his older videos, like his thoughts on cats, his thoughts on star Wars, his thoughts on like a bunch of other things. So like he, it was really clever the way that he transitioned to do a quarantine video because like he, he like records at that at his parents' house, like all the time for like a, this video series he does with his parents. And like he, but then, like, he was able to get footage of his roommates doing, like, the, si- the, 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 the sidekick band. So I think there was really, like, he did a really, like, fun inversion of what the talk show hosts are doing now. So I think that all these all these content creators, which is an interesting word, because, like, it's, like, a, it's a very long word to say a bunch of times. But, like, he's creating content in a way in, like, the opposite direction of, of like, Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon. So, I don't know. I think it's really so, it's really fascinating to see, like, how people that we look to for for entertainment and content, how they're shifting priorities and, like, doing what they can. Yeah. Um, Because there's a difference, too, between how Jimmy Fallon is doing um, The Tonight Show and how Colbert is doing The Late late Show, right? Um, Because, like, Fallon is doing this almost more home video, very charming, quirky type of take on it, filmed from his treehouse with his daughter occasionally showing up and holding up little hand-drawn signs. Meanwhile, Colbert is, uh, he was almost like a little bit more prepared and he's doing something that's, I think, more suited towards like the YouTube age where his comedy doesn't rely so much on like audience laughs, but almost little bits. And um, I I was watching, I only watched a couple of clips from like the first week, but Colbert seemed to like have like a whole setup already, like a much better camera too. Like I remember he was doing like, I discovered fire in my backyard and he, has, he was like sitting next to his fire pit and he was doing like this whole bit and it was really funny and really like more polished and he, he already had his graphics team doing some graphics and like little uh, cutaways and stuff as well as his, as his um, musician music like band I don't know the name of his band off the top of my head but like they had him doing like the intro from his home I'm like wow Colbert really like had all this prepared and he really like knew what to do meanwhile Fallon is almost going for the opposite approach where it's very just kind of thrown together but it's in a charming way because Fallon was always you know the celebrity celebrity and he's always laughing over people's jokes and or laughing over people's interviews and people are finding themselves really charmed by like him just showing his life albeit his life in his giant tree house that he has <laughs> it's like a luxury tree house so I think that's really interesting and um but have you guys seen any of these sort of variety shows and late night shows and like what they've been doing and have you uh, did you like have you liked what you what they're what you've seen yeah I mean I think the late night ones are basically pretty lackluster like all of them um I probably tune into Stephen Colbert and Seth Meyers the most 
just because they're the two I like the most and I tune into them the most just in general, quarantine or not. Um, but I think these shows are not suited for this um, and I find them pretty lackluster regardless of preparation or angle. Um, I think that the best has been John Oliver by far, mm. um, primarily because like his are just deep dive essays. So like he doesn't really need to rely on like creating content in the way that other late night hosts do and like having bits. Um, but I think he and his team have done an excellent job of keeping their show going and keeping the quality the same as it was when it was like in a studio. So I think John Oliver by far is the best one who has transitioned to this. Um, and I've really enjoyed SNL. Um, we said this before, I watch SNL every weekend, start to finish, without fail. I don't care who the host is, who the musical guest is, like, how bad the skits are. Like, I am an SNL devotee. Um, You're very so ride or die for them. I am very ride or die for SNL. Um, I, yeah, I am. And, you know, these episodes of SNL at home have not been, like, the best, but right. they've been such, like, a bomb just because, like, I know this cast and, like, they're a comfort to me and, like, they're so familiar. And so even the skits that, like, aren't that great, I'm still enjoying them because it's, like, familiar faces and it feels like friends. Um, and I think some of the skits have actually been really great. Pete Davidson's songs have been hilarious. I am also a Pete Davidson, like, apologist and me stan. Me Anya! I oh, my God. I feel really ashamed whenever I say that, but I find something really charming Wait. about him How i don't know he... what it is okay i literally saw him i did i saw him do stand-up last year i had tickets to see him again this year but it got postponed like i am a pete like me and dana uh we are pete davidson stands like we love pete davidson um and um so yeah so never apologize for that like he's the best um he's so great so I've loved his songs. I thought Kate McKinnon's bit with her cat last weekend was hysterical because she basically was like, here are all these cats up for adoption, but it was her one cat and she had to like disguise him to be several different cats. Oh, that's um, cute. And it was really funny. Um, and her delivery was great. So like, I've really been enjoying SNL um, and John Oliver. Um, my favorite of all the content has been theater, but I'm going to save that for a later for a little bit later because we're that's not really fitting into what we're talking about right now so yeah so i think late night eh, john oliver snl yes one thing i think is really interesting about snl is that there is a clear divide between the younger generation who became who made their fame basically who like broke out on the internet um versus like the more like the S snl veterans who kind of came up the comedy through comedy like in the more traditional way like improv and that kind of stuff so like chloe finneman for example was really ready right off the bat in that first snl at home episode like she had so many wigs just like lying around her house and she did i think the best sketch of the the first snl at home where she did like her um various impressions and she did her carol baskin song i it just it was so funny i still remember that like I think it's like the fun one of the funniest things I've seen out of SNL recently and it was just hilarious that um just like how prepared she was and how like obvious that she kind of has more internet for more humor for the internet age and I think Pete Davidson is uh excelling at that too with his like music videos and um I feel like Kyle um Kyle and Beck they you know came up through YouTube as well um Kyle's skits uh skits always get cut for time but his his humor and his style of like comedy. I guess Kyle Mooney contributes nothing to SNL anymore. Really? And I will die on that hill. You're not a fan Beck of Kyle. Is still, yeah, I'm I'm over Kyle Mooney. I'm so <laughs> over him. Beck is still great. It's about Alex and Mikey mm. are like it. Like they're like the, as the two like as the thing was there's always like a dynamic duo of like white guys on SNL. Like for a while it was Beck and Kyle. And now that's kind of fading and like Kyle's whatever. Beck is still great, but Kyle's whatever. But Alex and Mikey are hysterical. I love them so much. Kyle sketch about like, what's your name? I thought it was so dumb. I'm so over Kyle Mooney. I'm like, so literally every time, every time Dana and I watch SNL every single weekend when they do the credits and they have all the cast members, every time Kyle Mooney comes up in the credits, Dana and I look at each other and we're like, who? Who's that? I feel like his, his comedy oh, wow. style is just really unsuited to SNL. Um, yeah. But, like, his style... His it's like, really... It's dry. It's, it's different. Yeah. It's very dry internet humor. And I, I kind of enjoy that kind of humor. Like, I really still enjoy that that fight sketch. I love that one. Like, do you... Have hmm. you, you remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like this really specific, dry SoCal 90s humor. 
<laughs> basically yeah. um which i which i like but like i think like he like chloe finman he are, are kind of like suited towards like this transition to the internet more but and like I think that uh, Kate was struggling a little bit in the first episode, but she like kind of came more into it, especially with the cats sketch. Yeah, yeah. She and the like grocery store one I mm-hmm. thought was like really funny and like very simple. But like this is one of the things is that like again I'm ride or die, but like I hate when people deride the cast of SNL because I think they're actually really talented and people like they think of Kate McKinnon as like because she's probably one of the more famous ones or like Colin Jost because he's engaged to Charlotte Johansson. But like the cast of SNL is hysterical again i uh, stan alex moffat he's probably like my favorite white guy on the show right now um but like ego is really great heidi gardner is hysterical i love her so much chris red is so funny keenan obviously a mainstay so like i don't know i just think snl has a lot of talent and i think that uh they get a lot of derision from people that they do not deserve and that some of their more understated performers are really great and deserve I, more. I won't be giving that derision. I love Kate, by the way. Kate McKinnon's like one of my favorites. She's great. She's so funny. She like cons- is consistently so good. But yeah, it's like interesting to see just kind of the increase in quality and like once they're kind of getting into getting more used to the style that the internet sort of requires and this kind of format requires it's different it is different and it's like it's really interesting because like the live audience like not having it there is very different you don't have the reaction but I think that they like have kind of found their groove and I also really enjoy looking to their houses and seeing what their apartments look like that's pretty fun yeah like um Beck had um one that was cut where it was like one of those architectural digest like tours of the celebrity's home and he did that when it got cut and it was online and it was really funny um so yeah so it's been interesting to watch them transition but i'm just happy to have them so willoughby what about do you have anything um have you been watching any like the late night or variety stuff or is there something else in quarantine content that you've been uh, enjoying so to be honest i haven't watched any of the late night stuff um i just don't usually watch the late night stuff unless like a thing like one of their videos goes like insanely viral that like people can't stop retweeting it so i'll just take a look and see what's up um so what i i've watched a lot of as we've talked about on the show bon appetit test kitchen videos are like a great source of wholesome fun food content we did a whole episode about that kind of stuff so take a listen for that and I think I brought it up that the test kitchen has trends. They actually, they're doing all their videos from home now. Um, and so like, I think now looking at their video schedule, like what they've posted the past month or so, I think they've all, they're all doing videos from home now. I, I, they still, they were sort of doing this dovetail of videos from the actual test kitchen and home. And you could kind of see like the, the videos that they had scheduled to release versus the ones that, Maybe they had to rework to do home versions of, but um, now I think they're they're all doing uh, home 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 kitchen. They're calling it bon appetit home at, at test kitchen at home, um, and like they're still doing like all the same like shows and stuff. They're just sort of like reworking it for from the actual kitchen and doing Zoom calls. And like one of the one of the great joys of the the test kitchen is one one of the the chefs may be doing a show, but a bunch of different chefs may show up as like you know like they walk into the frame and they like see like how how it's going like the banter between the chefs is is sort of like some of the best parts of the show not just like them actually making the food um so what they've done is they had they just have zoom calls and so sometimes one of the one of the people will just one of the chefs will just be making one of their foods like brad leone he'll be like doing his show it's alive and then he'll call uh sola who's she's another chef um and so they'll have like a zoom call and they'll be like doing like the same project together and making like their own separate versions of it and then like it'll go back to brad because he's the host of the show and he'll like finish up the episode so like it's just sort of they're still trying to recapture the same magic of the test kitchen which is like these personalities like interacting with each other and i think they they're they are succeeding in the best way that they can with the limited resources they have which is these folks are in their own kitchens with their own materials they don't have the luxury of of working in a test kitchen right now with like what what seems like unlimited resources from Condé Nast um and so it's really interesting to see the way and they're they're all, they've also reworked their content so it's more home appropriate so like Claire Saffitz who is known as she's the pastry chef who makes all the gourmet makes videos and show 
So her latest video wasn't a gourmet mix because she can't do the same stuff because she doesn't have gourmet mix takes a lot of effort and, and like, uh, like tools and like, you know, chef materials that like she is like a regular citizen of America probably doesn't have it at her, in her kitchen. So she, her video, her most recent video was about making homemade pasta and using like, uh, like, uh, appropriate ways to make, like ravioli and like homemade ravioli and homemade like stuffed um basically pasta that you could stuff cheese into so like it's really interesting to see the way that they've adapted to their to the new pandemic quarantine content creation i think they're doing a really good job of doing of, the, of doing it especially because they have switched their content to be like so you're stuck at home let's make a sandwich with materials that you may have lying around the house or not materials but like different like like leftovers and like other like food you may have um, so I think so that the recipes I really have almost become re- more practical because it's actually yeah. tools and everything they have at home and not the ones that you don't have, like a microplane, which I definitely don't have. Right. So like a lot of their stuff is, is now like, here's how you can help. Here's how you, like they're helping us by showcasing like the type of foods that you can make. And like uh, another video they made was like, uh, t- like basically improving craft mac and cheese, like taking Mac craft mac and cheese and then making it. And then and then making it better by like doing different things to it. So like Chris Morocco is one of the chefs. He took and basically made like homemade uh, mac and cheese balls with like taking like breadcrumbs and frying it and like doing a really interesting like make take. But it's like craft mac and cheese that you know like you can get at a store and breadcrumbs and oil and like other things to like kind of like keep it together. So it's really fun the way that they're sort of like changing. And uh, I think they had like one video where it was like all co- like the different co- like how they make their coffee. Um, so I think that I really like, I really appreciate the way that they've sort of like, well, not the cheat, like the personalities are always down to earth, but the food they make sometimes can be sort of like a little, like goes over your head. Like, you know, a lot of the gourmet mix stuff you can't recreate at home. Just like, you know, just like the way that, unless you have all the, all the tools that you can, you can't. So I like that they've sort of had to transition and, and it makes it all really like comforting to be like, these people are the same, you know, like they're just as fun and interesting in their homes as they are in the test kitchen. Um, and then on Friday, they had a live uh, two-hour fundraiser that they they raised money for World Central Kitchen, which is Jose Andres' organization for feeding the hungry. Um, and they raised at that, I was watching uh, some clips from it on and they had like YouTube has like a counter of like how much money they raised at to, like just now like 40 minutes ago they were, they have raised almost two hundred thousand dollars since Friday, um, and I think they they raised like six like seventy thousand dollars the first fifty minutes. Wow! Um, so like they like people tuned in to watch these folks at their homes playing games doing like fun like speed tests like see how how quickly you can whip uh whip whipped cream until you can't like until it doesn't fall out of the bowl when you flip it upside down so like they were they like they did like a really fun like variety show like they had like graphics and um that they could pull up put put up on the chiron and like you you know sometimes the graphics went on a little bit too long and so you can kind of tell like they may have been like transitioning to a different segment and they were doing different things but it really worked uh, and it's really entertaining because these these the chef personalities are so much fun and the, that you know this sort of like you, you could see the seams of it because it's the, it was like the first live thing they've ever done it's the first variety show they've ever done like it's sort of interesting to see like what how, like even though it, if there was a certain charm to the fact that it was sort of like very much like you know I wouldn't say rickety but like it wasn't polished like you know like a late show or like a Jimmy Fallon show so like I really appreciated like the effort they put into it um and and raised money for a really good cause you know World Central Kitchen they do they're trying to feed everyone that they can um and Jose Andres is like a saint of a person so I'm really glad and he was on the show he they did like a pre-recorded interview with him um so yeah Bon Appetit has been doing really good stuff um with their like home kitchen that's awesome. I've watched a couple of other things, but um, uh, they do go a little long. I don't know. I like I like to go for the recipes, but I haven't gotten there yet with the sort of personalities yet. Although I do understand why everyone loves Brad so much. He's just kind of got that bro energy, and yet he is a really accomplished and skilled chef. So it's just really funny to have that that combo. Yeah, he's sort of I like just- if. if- He's, he's like if Andy Dwyer was competent at like 
one one thing. Even though Brad's like a very complicated human being, he's a real person, but like he's just sort of got that frat bro energy, but he's also like a like super charming and nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I just love your appreciation for Bon Appetit, Willoughby. Yeah. It just makes me happy that it makes you so happy. Like, I'm not really in the Bon Appetit, like, fandom, but just hearing you talk about it, like, brings a smile to my face. Me too. Gosh. So what have you guys thought about the other sort of events uh, and sort of, and, like, fundraising events and, um, uh like the Sondheim birthday or the Disney sing-along. I actually didn't watch either of them, but I've seen sort of clips from them. But I know... Yeah, me neither. But I, I saw the internet's reaction, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Anya? I know you were particularly excited about the Sondheim thing. Yeah. I watched the Disney sing-along. It was cute. It was, like, nothing, really. But it was cute. Um, The Sondheim thing outside of Parks and Rec has been my absolute favorite content that has come out of quarantine. It is, it was like the happiest I've been in quarantine. Um, You can't go wrong with Mandy Patinkin. You really can never go wrong with Mandy Patinkin, ever. Um, It's been coming up a lot uh, in my life on this podcast that theater has been my saving grace this quarantine. It has been my rock, my anchor. Um, It has been the thing that has like kept me kind of you know, keeping my head above water. Um, And so the Sondheim thing, like, really solidified that in so many ways. Um, Not only because it was just, like, a wonderful, like, couple of hours where Broadway stars and actors, you know, sang a song, a Sondheim song from the comfort of their own home. And it was kind of just, like, a mini, like, at-home concert of Sondheim songs. Um, so, like, it was just really enjoyable on that front and that I love Sondheim and he's a genius lyricist. Um, and it was fun seeing a lot of my favorite theater people. Like, obviously, there were, like, the big ones, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jake Gyllenhaal and Mandy Patinkin, as Willoughby said. But, like, I also got to see some of my personal favorites, like Laura Benanti and Kelly O'Hara. Um, and so it just made me feel a lot of good feelings and because everyone who performed in it just had so much love for Stephen Sondheim and for just like a couple of hours I could like forget about quarantine and just think about the fact that like we have this art that we celebrate together and that bonds us and you know how theater brings us together plus like Twitter was all about it so like I follow a lot of theater people on Twitter so like it was so fun live tweeting it and seeing other people's tweets of it it just felt like this very like communal experience um and that was really special to me and that's been happening with theater a lot um Andrew Lloyd Webber has been putting up a lot of his shows for free every weekend on um the YouTube channel the show must go on and in a lot of these um live streams of his shows a lot of the original actors have been doing like uh, like live tweeting or like live Insta stories during the show and like Q and A's. And so like, again, there's this like communal aspect to it um, of doing theater together. National theater live is putting on shows. I'm going to be watching Frankenstein with my friend tomorrow morning together. They put up both versions with Johnny Lee Miller and Benedict Cumberbatch. So you can watch both. It's very exciting. Are you watch both. I'm going to watch both. Yeah. I'm only watching one with my friend tomorrow, but then I'm going to watch the other one later um because i want to see their different takes on both victor and the creature and then on thursday national theater is putting up the anthony and cleopatra with ray fines which i saw in movie theaters but i'm going to be re-watching with another friend so uh, theater is already a communal experience it's people gathered in one space to watch a live performance that can never be replicated and so it's hard to capture that in like live streams and like in your home but just the idea that we're striving towards that at all and like bringing this community together like that means a lot to me um and so yeah theater is kind of everything to me right now it is it is it's my saving grace and I know that sounds dramatic and hyperbolic but it's true so I I don't know where I would be in this quarantine without theater I really love that Hollywood and people in general finding ways to create those communal experiences despite being separated I feel like art industry and entertainment industry has really stepped up um during these lockdowns and um it's just uh i feel like people have become have gained a newfound appreciation too for the movies and shows so i agree i, I agree and i, I was just gonna with i was gonna say real quick with television especially like people always talk about like television's gonna die like television's never gonna last like all these changes in like technology and the way we consume and like 
time and time again, television proves them wrong. Like television adapts and it evolves. And from streaming, you know, to now this, like television is still here. And I hope people do gain a better appreciation for this kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Willoughby? I was going to say we've come a long way from Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig's uh, Imagine video. <laughs> yeah. Now we have the Stunt Women's uh, video with uh, all the stars of the, like, Scarlett Johansson as well as stars like the Tarantino verse. That video was so fun. It was really fun. I really loved that. The fact that Lucy Lawless had her actual Xena prop was so great. Florence Pugh being like, I'm not going to waste this wine. That video was great. I don't know know if I know this video. (laughs) Oh, I know that there was there was a stunt. Pe- there, there was, was like a stunt man video, but the new one is a is all women. It's called the Boss Fish <gasps> Challenge, and it was started by um, uh, Zoe Zoe Bell, who uh, starred in the Tarantino film Death Proof and was like the stunt stunt double for Uma Thurman and stuff like that. So she got all these Tarantino alums and then like all of their celebrity friends to join in so like there's drew barrymore and cameron diaz halle berry scarlett johansson zoe um, saldana zoe saldana margot robbie oh margot like whips out her bat and it was really mm-hmm. great and, you know, yeah and then um well, florence that's, Pugh with that's, the, that's so much fun it's a lot of fun i will send so it to you fun. is it the same like style that the stuntman's video was yeah. or it was like they sort of like pass the phone to each other to yeah, do yeah the they play a game of ass kicking telephone yeah that's it's so really fun. fun yeah that's a, and like so you said lucy lawless has her has her xena sword she does her, her like little chakram like her, yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. and she throws like she has that it's so cool that's so cool it's awesome so yeah that one's so, yeah. Uh, something to check out yeah, yeah. there's definitely been interesting content and i i also just enjoy watching people's content like not even like famous people or people who work in the industry, but just people on the internet who are like sharing, have they been spending their quarantine time? There have been some really fun viral videos to come out of quarantine. I have to ask, have you guys opened a TikTok? I already have a TikTok account. Oh, of course you already have one. But Melissa, I... Melissa, Melissa created one and she, and I think we're going to work on like cosplay uh, oh. um, TikToks to like, to show like the progress of the, of like, or maybe not cosplay per se, but just her so like she's working on a sewing project. So I think we're gonna folk. We might do like a fun thing on like on that. Um, That's fun. Yeah. Oh, that. Re- you know what? The what thought just occurred to me. Has Melissa ever thought about doing like the e girl look for TikTok? Because I feel like she would have fun doing that. I feel like I don't she know would what too. That is, so I don't. I bet don't... you Melissa knows what it is. I bet she does. E girl sure is she... kind of like the new sort of fashion look that's a cross between. Um, goth and anime okay <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know i bet is. you melissa would nail this she would definitely know and she would, would oh she would have such a good such a good look because she's so good with makeup and everything and the and the wigs and hair color oh you should tell her to do an e-girl look for her, for her tiktok as okay. for me my relationship with tiktok has not changed since i first downloaded on my phone i have tiktok on my phone to check the washington post and that's pretty much it. That's such a you thing to do. I don't. I don't <laughs> download go, TikTok. Follows which the Washington is so Post. wild because I know you, you. I know you loved Vine so much, and TikTok, yeah, TikTok has become sort Vine. of like a Vine. No, it's not. I mean, they're not the same, but like they sort of. It feels sort of like no. a Vine-shaped bowl a little bit, at no. least for me. I still just watch Vine compilations on YouTube. Of course you do. I mean, they're amazing. You can't go wrong with Vine. And and then I watch the Washington Post on TikTok, and that's. <laughs> pretty much it i don't scroll through like the for you page or like find th- new things i open tiktok i go to the washington post page and i catch up on all the washington post tiktoks i've like missed out that on is, anya that is the most on brand version of a tiktok their tiktok uh, account is so good that's yeah no, they, i mean they yeah but, that but yeah is, that's that is yeah that makes so much sense <laughs> i'm a nerd so do you guys have any um other quarantine content that you want to speak about um nothing i think i've pretty much covered all the bases there um i will say that uh one of my favorite podcasts uh the blank check podcast they historically always try to have their guests in the studio Mm -hmm. and record like in the same area so that way they don't have to worry about skype or zoom um but obviously due to the uh, uh pandemic they can't do that so like 
they uh, the past couple episodes, some of their episodes have it's sort of a weird schedule. They record out of order sometimes, so some episodes you can still you can hear they're in the studio, and then others they're clearly talk talking on a, on a phone on a Zoom call, talking about pan- the pandemic and stuff. So they're sort of switching to pandemic mode just for a little bit until things get back to normal. Um, but it gives people it gives people an opportunity, or I guess it gives the show an opportunity to bring on guests that they normally wouldn't bring on due to travel and due to like logistics of like, you know, they're not in the same, they're not in New York or something. So like Travis McElroy, one of the McElroy brothers, um, uh, was able to get on their, get on their show for their Bay pig in the city episode, which just came out. They're doing a, a mini series on George Miller. And so they got, so he lives in Cincinnati, I think. So like he was able to Skype in, and talk with them and like they had done uh episodes with griffin and justin mcelroy before but that that was nor- during norm- the normal times the before times and uh you could hear you it was clear it was they were talking over skype but they the obviously they're both podcasters so their audio is very clear and crisp and you can understand what they're saying and so like the transition was pretty like almost seamless um but with this, like they made references to the pandemic, so I'm also glad that they had all three McElroy brothers on at this point. And now I'm just rambling about my favorite podcasts, um, but just want to say that they're, you know, it's the podcasts are also shifting to uh, audio to a pandemic mode. Like I know, like the Pod Save America guys are all in their own houses now. So like it's interesting to see like how and like NPR politics. Obviously, you know, they can work from anywhere and they they sort of have to. So it was sort of an easy transition, I think, for them to do this. Um, but it's sort of interesting to see, you know, how even the pod how audio mediums are shifting. Podcast is the one thing I've like dropped completely in quarantine. Oh no. <laughs> I'm so behind on all my podcasts because I can't do podcasts at home. Um I pretty much only use them when I'm like walking my dog. So I'm listening to them a little bit and like commuting. Um, so I have completely dropped podcasts. Yeah, maybe Whoops. that's why I I'm haven't listened to podcasts since I started working from home because I just don't really have the opportunity to do it because when you're working, you, I, when I'm working at least, I can't listen to them because I need to just concentrate on what I'm writing. And Same. otherwise, I just don't have you know a chance to listen to podcasts or yeah. catch up on them. I am several episodes behind on the Adventures Home Willoughby, so. I was going to ask how far behind you are if you are because we haven't talked about it i'm like three or four episodes behind and i will catch up obviously because i love it and sir fitzroy means everything to me um and i I will go next time you go on like a long trip or something just put it on and you know take a take an extended walk with ajax i should i should and i should put that one on um because i miss it but yeah podcast at home not for me so i feel you ht all right. Well, I feel like that uh, wraps up our discussion about quarantine content, Quarin- quarantent, as Anya dubbed Quarant- it. Quarantine. 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 Well, with that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Okay. Willoughby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? Speaking of Palpatine, uh, we are recording on May the 4th. Be with you. Um, And uh, the final episode of The Clone Wars uh, premiered today, and I watched it, um, and it was beautiful and cinematic and amazing. I think they stocked the landing. It's a show 13 years in in the making, like the finality of it all. I, the I, I talked a bunch about the premiere of the final arc on Clone Wars a couple of weeks ago, so I won't go too much back into my fandom for the show and for Star Wars itself. Um, but I just want to give like a brief shout out. Like I think that they did it. I, you know, I never really expected Clone Wars to finish up because um, in 2013, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they they canceled it. Um, it was airing on on Cartoon Network, and they after season five, uh, they canceled it. And Netflix actually aired, like I think it was thirteen episodes for season six, um, and it was a Netflix original, quote unquote. Um, and now it's a Disney Plus original for season seven. Uh, so it's and I I think that you know the the last couple episodes have been some of its best. Uh, as I said earlier, a couple weeks ago. This final arc uh, overlaps with the Revenge of the Sith, uh, 
and so that you get you basically get Ahsoka's perspective of Order 66 and the end of the Clone Wars and the rise of Darth Vader. Um, and I don't want to give anything any spoilers away, but I will say that like I was very emotional and I think it was a very stunning conclusion and I think it was uh, on par with like the best of what Star Wars can be. So I just want to give a shout out to the final episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. A shout out to the voice actors, uh, Ashley Eckstein and Dee Bradley Baker, who Dee Bradley Baker voices every single clone on that show. It, any background voiceover of a clone, that's him. Captain Rex, who is a main character, that's him. Like he plays every single clone and he gives every single clone a different personality. And it was just so um, stunning that like you could hear him, his, his, like, like he has two clones talking in, talking to each other, and you could just by like audio alone know which clone you're talking. He's they're talking to wow. and about. Um, and the Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka, she was so good. Um, she brought life to Ahsoka, and I like she's she was she's been voicing Ahsoka since like 2008. So it's been like a long time, long time coming for like these two characters, Captain Rex and Ahsoka. So I just want to give a shout out to them too. They they were spectacular, especially in this last episode. So Clone Wars. May the fourth be with you. And also with you. <laughs> and, oh. Or to quote to, to quote John Mulaney, and with your spirit. And with <laughs> your spirit also. <laughs> All right. Uh, Anya, what do you really like this week? I'm going to keep that theme going. Mm. Um, one day I will watch Clone Wars, I promise. Um, but what I really like hasn't really changed. I'm watching the same shows and I'm enjoying the same shows and reading and blah, blah, blah. So my little thing is a little simple something. I'm really excited that they announced that Taika Waititi is going to be directing and co-writing a Star Wars film. I think that's really great. Um, and I have no idea what it's going to be about or when it'll be set but I'm excited for it because we love Taika Waititi in this house. Um, I would, I, like, uh, it's complicated because I hate Boba Fett so much. But if anyone were to do a Boba Fett film, I'd want it to be Taika Waititi only because Boba Fett is Maori and Taika is Maori. Oh. And I want all the fanboys who love Boba Fett to be really, really angry that Boba Fett is a man of color and has been since the beginning. Um, so... While I don't want a bow with that film, I do want to piss off Star Wars fanboys. So maybe. But mostly I want Taika to do his own original thing and have like original characters and like original setting and original story. Like I want Taika to really just like be able to run the gamut and have fun with this. But I'm very excited for Taika because Star Wars deserves directors like him and Ryan Johnson mm -hmm. uh, to inject some lifeblood into this franchise that can be the best and also the absolute worst at times. I feel like Disney must be really stoked about Taika too because they announced his Star Wars movie on May 4th, Star Wars Day. So it must be something like right. really special and they're really just like throwing their support behind him. So Taika! And I think also, you know, with The Mandalorian, he directed the season finale um, and this finale was warmly uh, received, recepted, recepted, received. received. Um, it was, you know, like, I think a lot of people were calling it the best episode of the season. I would definitely put that up there. It sort of uh, combines everything that was great about The Mandalorian into, like, you know, like, it was a build-up to this great finale. And it starts off with a bunch of jokes from Stormtroopers. Um, Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally were voicing Stormtroopers. And it was, like, you could tell it was a Taika Waititi, like, episode. because What? Had, like, I love Jason humor, but it was Sudeikis. Yes, he is. He voices a stormtrooper in the, uh, the episode of eight of The Mandalorian, which you should watch. I um, love which also stars. Yeah, and so Taika Waititi directed that, and um, and so I think that The Mandalorian has also sort of become like sort of like a quote unquote test kitchen of new chefs to come in to see like what can they do with Star Wars. Um, I be, uh, the showrunner for Kenobi was one of the directors of of the episodes. I, I apologize, I forget her name. Um. But like they're doing a lot of things, like a lot of the directors who are coming on board are going to do other things in Star Wars and come back to the Mandalorian for season two. So I think that they are they have this new sort of like uh, roster of directors that and like you know new writers. Um, they also announced a second show, uh, a sec or I guess a second series or uh, for Disney Plus from the one of the co-creators of Russian Doll. 
um, it's supposed to be like a female centric show. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very excited about that. Um, and yeah, Star Wars is, I, you know, now that the Skywalker saga is complete and they're all streaming on Disney plus, uh, they can really sort of, and Clone Wars is ending. They can really look forward to new and different things. Um, they're sort of unshackled now, especially you mean with like the, there the, are the High Republic. The, there are people in the galaxy affected by what happens in the galaxy who aren't Skywalkers? What? What? Who now? Who knew? You wouldn't think that from Rise of Skywalker. What? That's insanity, and I'm so here for it. I'm done with the Skywalker saga. I love the Skywalkers. I'm done with them. <laughs> Bring me the Kenobis. That's all I care about. All right. Well, my um, my really like doesn't have to do with Star Wars at all. I'm very sorry, but Why it's not? something that I really enjoyed. You could have been three for three. I know. I'm sorry. But think of something okay. really quick. I was occupied. Really I was occupied this weekend with a new show on Netflix, um, created by Mindy Kaling. Never have I ever. I really enjoyed this show. I think it's by far Mindy Kaling's best TV series. Um, it's uh, based on her own childhood growing up in the suburbs of uh, Boston, like Massachusetts. And it follows a young Indian American teenager named Devi who has recently lost her father um, after he died from a heart attack and is kind of dealing with the grief of that by throwing herself into being a very horny teen. And um, as the show goes on, and it's kind of like, it's very typical of Mindy Kaling's writing, very funny and, and a lot of secondhand embarrassment and cringe humor, but um, I, it, it's surprisingly uh, a very poignant and genuine examination of grief through a horny teen lens. So it's basically Fleabag for teens, which is such an amazing little revelation that I had like toward the end of the series. It's uh, a really wonderful depiction of just kind of like how this character who's very flawed and um, uh, in denial is just kind of trying, not really able to process that grief and is just throwing herself into making the worst decisions for herself. And uh, it's such a refreshing to see in a teen show and uh as mindy kaling does she has a really great romantic um through line with it there's a fun love triangle that's going and i am trash for the kind of romance that mindy kaling writes because she she knows the exact kind of tropes that appeal specifically to me which is the enemies to lovers trope and i adore it and i know that her character her male characters can be trash sometimes and they're kind of awful and toxic but it's so fun to see that. And it's done in a way that um, in a teenage, in like a teen high school show, it almost more suits her writing because these characters making these really bad decisions and these really um, impulsive decisions almost suit the teenage experience more because they're not fully grown yet. And they are kind of like they make bad decisions. That's just part of their um person that they're part that's part of their like growing up experience and it it really suits that coming of age um story and structure really well so i um i really like never have i ever i cried twice in like the last two episodes of it and uh it was just a, an emotional roller coaster for me and i i do think it's like mindy kaling's best tv series by far and i'm one who stuck through all seasons of, of the midi project and same Loved girl. it despite its really high, high, really low lows and like really dramatic Same. dips. So I'm with you. Definitely check out Never Have I Ever. It's a quick uh, 10 episode run on Netflix and it's a really fantastically written show that uh, caters to the coming of age lover, caters to the rom-com lover, and caters to one who uh, wants to see like a refreshing new take on that coming of age high school experience. All right. It's definitely been on my list to check out. So I will have to do that. Um, I just thought of what my really like was going to actually be. <laughs> I totally you forgot. Lied. I mean, it is Taika, but I totally forgot. I just want to say really quickly, I watched the documentary A Secret Love on Netflix last night about these two Canadian lesbians who had to hide their relationship for 65 and a half years. Um, and it's a really sweet and poignant documentary. Um, it is kind of like it's kind of fluff and doesn't go as hard hitting as I wanted it to especially given what it's about but it's really sweet and you know love is love so 
I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Secret Love on Netflix. Which All right, is really- I forgive you for having two really likes for now. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's May the fourth, so I will allow it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yes, uh, that is our episode for the week. If you guys want to come chat with us about any quarantent that you are watching or enjoying, come do that with us. Or if you're just the things that you're enjoying, which is also quarantent. It's all quarantined at this point. Um, but that includes Clone Wars, Never Have I Ever, other movies released on streaming or digital, um, or just news that you're excited about that is about the future and the future we can look forward to, like Taika Waititi directing a Star Wars movie. Come chat with us about all of that. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. 